everyone. My name is uh, Moses Sample, and this is uh, Mad About Growth, eighth uh, podcast episode. So we have Piyush with us today, and uh, this is part of our uh, strategy discussion related uh, podcast. So we'll be talking about um, one of my favorite topics, which is uh, partnerships and international expansions, right? Uh, because uh, mostly in sales and business development, partnerships and alliances comes like at the end, right? Like the, if you're starting a startup, you don't immediately think about building a partnership. You are always thinking about selling, right? And this uh, mental switch has always been a barrier, uh, especially when you're starting new brands to think about partnerships first rather than sales, right? Because you're always trying to, oh, I'll build it. I'll build this also. I'll build this also, right? As a founder, you're always trying to build everything. But then like uh, a smart way to do would be to partner with the right people. Uh, so we'll be discussing about that. Uh, so before, uh, you know, we make Piyush talk about all these things, we will quickly read his bio. Piyush uh, is a business development and operations professional with background in sports, tech, and finance with experience in developing markets in Asia, PAC, EU, and Africa. He brings an extensive network of global connections as well as detailed understanding of business and technology, especially in sports and in gaming sectors. Uh, MBA from top tier business school with 10 plus years of experience in consulting, tech startup operations and investment banking domains. Currently, he's leading the Indian subcontinent business for the Switch-based global leader, Sports Radar, and has grown partnerships and opportunities for the company in the market that has been tremendous potential and upside. Developing and nurturing key partnerships in the media and fantasy sports landscape has led to great growth with more to come. All right, Piyush, tell us about uh, the current work at Sports Radar. Uh, what's your daily job like? What do you do? Well, well, there's a, there's two parts to the life, right? So there's a pre-COVID uh, daily part of the job, which was far more exotic and far more fun, right? Uh, and, and I guess before you even start, I think I think glad you mentioned about partnerships and sort of uh, synergy. On business development, I think it's it, it's unfortunate that if you actually go open up most of LinkedIn roles today, sales is equal to or business development professional's job is equal to actually selling. Correct? Yes, at some level, everybody's selling all the time, but I think it's also very very important about how you can kind of do the twenty eighty rule. So again, from a daily basis, I do sales for Sport Radar in South Asia. I had their sales. So yes, my key Let's put it this way, the hammer on the head is always revenue, right? However, I always kind of try and split 80-20. So 80% of my time will be focused on gaining the revenue for 2020-2021. But then the 20% of the time I'm spending on building revenue for five years, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that can only be done by having the right partners in place, having the right strategies in place. Right. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm not a magician, unfortunately. Uh, so I cannot predict what's going to happen in 2025. Uh, we will take calculated guesses and try and make the partnerships in that space. Um, so yeah, so from Sport Radar perspective, as I said, the, there are two major parts of the business here. Uh, one is the prime of so Sport Radar as a company. We are the global uh, leaders in sports data. So what that means is we are actually collecting real-time data across about 
450,000 matches in 60 plus sports um, in a year. Um, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's unfathomable sometimes to see the depth and the sort of breadth of data we collect. Like, I mean, I consider myself a sports fan. Um, however, when I joined Sport Radar, you cannot believe there were names of sports of which we collected data I didn't even know about, right? And it was just like, oh my God. Okay, yeah, I'm, I, it, it's a bit different being a sports business professional vis-a-vis -vis being a sports fan, correct? So, so we collect uh, data at this, uh, and we collected via three major methods. We collected via either we have direct partnerships with the leagues, wherein the leagues will give the, us that data feed, or we will become that data collector. Okay. So we do this in tennis, ITF, um, NBA, NFL, MLB, Bundesliga, a bunch of American sports. Uh, over and above that, we also collect um, data like how, and this is something which is very familiar to us. Uh, you must have seen IPL games or whatever. You'll see this box, they'll show the press box where our Indian journalists are sitting and collecting, writing stuff, right? So what we do is we will send one guy like this, but instead of just writing stories, he's actually collecting data, so he's a data journalist. So we have created our own proprietary apps technology to collect this data. And then the third form is where we kind of have, let's say, acceptance from leagues. Um, so it's not an official partnership of sorts, but it's a um, acceptance saying, yes, you can come and collect our data. Um, so like a no objection certificate for lack of a better word. Here, we obviously use just mobile tech because we need to be nimble and quick. Um, so this data forms the base of everything and anything we do, right? Now this data is then, produced into different products. Um, Just one second before you get into uh, what kind of data are you collecting? So because I'm assuming these are uh, through phones, the forms that they're filling, right? That's not forms, right? So what we've done is we've created our own technology okay. in-house and I am, let's say, collecting data. So let me give you an example of IPL, right? Uh, so let's say right now the games are happening in Dubai and it probably might be happening. Uh, in COVID, it's a bit difficult because there are people are not allowed to go into the stadium. So we actually face a lot of issues because of that. So uh, actually I forgot to add one more point. So places where we cannot collect data from stadiums, we also buy streams, which are called dirty streams. Mm. Now again, don't think of these dirty streams as the incognito modes dirty streams, yeah? Uh, I'm talking about dirty streams in the set, they're called dirty feeds. Okay. So what they say is these are low quality resolution feeds, okay. which are not which are the same ones which are coming from the host uh, broadcast. So let's say in IPL, when a broad cameraman is recording the stream, right? Now this stream is uplinked. And then from then it goes to downlink. It takes about a 10 to 20 seconds before it actually comes on TV. So even before that downlink happens, we collect these streams, we buy them from the various vendors and we can look at it and do our calculations. So what are the factors we collect? We collect mainly events in games. So our data will be, so for a football game, it would be, we will collect information like passes, uh, goals, assists, how is the ball moving? Where is it going? Who's passing the ball to whom? So basically pretty much a, a pictorial description of the game. So if the game ended today and you didn't have any video footage, we would probably be your best indicator of what actually happened in the game. So we can literally pan out the game. Now, what this allows us to do with this data then is that let's say, We'll collect information of, um, let's take an um, easy game like a European football game, like a Man United versus Liverpool. Now say the game is happening and then there's a dangerous attack coming into Liverpool. 
when Liverpool is attacking to Man United's half. So this will automatically start affecting a lot of our products. So there are some products where it will affect directly. So we sell live score widgets, uh, live score trackers, all of these which are kind of embedded into other people's websites. We are the single largest odds creator in the world. So let's say Man United to win was 1.75. Now, if Liverpool is doing an attack, during that attack, you'll automatically see Man United's probability to win go higher because they are on the back foot, correct? Mm. So, so stuff like this, and this is something which we do uh, across the globe. And also we have a host of media and fantasy clients like Google, Facebook, um, DraftKings, Dream11, all of these guys as well from our data. But that's what the company does on right. a global scale. Um, yeah. Apart from that, we also work with a few news websites who want our live score data, etc. Uh, so we work with Sportskeeda. We're now working with Cricket.com. Potentially going to work with Cricket.com in the future, um, and a bunch of other platforms. Uh, over and above that, I think the key other focus from our standpoint is that there's also a lot of software companies in India, which build betting software for global markets. Hmm. So for Africa, for for Latin America, for Asia. Um, so what these guys will do is they will build the whole technology, but the only missing point in their technology is the data. Mm. Right? So think of uh, a sports betting company, a website as a car. So these guys are building the body and the engine. We are building, we are the diesel or the fuel. Right. Data is the fuel, correct? So from that standpoint, we are already partnering with all the leading technology providers to make us the preferred data partner because all of them need data, right? So if you partner with one of them, you kind of get 20 other clients because of them getting. Uh, and then the fourth part of my, my role, which is um, part which I say is uh, South Asia. So I just don't manage India, I manage the whole South Asia portfolio. So we work with a lot of the Sri Lankan guys. So we're working with Nepal. We always look out for opportunities in Pakistan, Bangladesh as well. It's not the easiest obviously, because you cannot travel to those countries, especially Pakistan is not easy to build. From India because you can't really travel, but then you end up doing a lot of the deals in Dubai, right? So that's what we'll do. So how big is your team? Um, in India or globally? Uh, like people who report to you. Because so, there's a lot of things, I just want to know how many people are helping. Yeah, so basically, um, glad you asked that question. I would love my, love my colleagues slash uh, the person who hired me to be here on this call. So so currently, uh, the team Indian team is just two of us, right? Uh, it's me and one more colleague of mine who joined uh, with, from Stats Group Dubai uh, and now working with Portrait So he's based out of Dubai. However, pre-COVID, the idea was to build a kind of full-fledged team in India. Uh, however, I think now with that 2020s coming to an end, we'll probably go down to that route again. However, um, to make you very quickly understand that our company is very, very centralized with its functions, right? So a lot of functions like legal, accounting, invoicing, uh, technology, all of this is already centralized in, in EU and Asia. Um, and we have already support staff based out of, again, Asia, Manila. So even though there's no direct people reporting to us, there's a very, like, very nice and flat structure which has been created. So the sales guys are a part of a unit and but it's kind of being very well glued into the other divisions and you, even though you feel like you're by yourself but you always feel like you're part of a team and and the global team is obviously 2500 people but that being said uh, we've realized 
being about two and a half years in India now, um, that this is not a country where you can just operate from a central location. Having a local presence on the ground uh, or a large local presence on the ground also speaks a lot more than just the team. It speaks about how large you are as a business, et cetera, and stuff like that. So I think a lot of positioning factors are still in the works. And I think 2021, will, you will see where we are kind of really coming out on this from a standpoint. Okay. It's also to show that uh, how, how vested you are with the Indian market, right? Like the more number of people that you have within right, India. Right, exactly. So that, I think that's, that's a very good word to use because that's exactly the kind of uh, phrase which I tell. It's, it's, it's about showing commitment in the market, right? Uh, right? So, I mean, the heavier you are in the market, the more chances you are that you will not get out of that market anytime soon. Right, right. So, right. yeah, I, I hear where you come Okay, great. Uh, so let's, uh, I still didn't really understand how this uh, data is fed through the mobile phones. Are they typing or are they? So, so basically they're not typing it. So what we've done is we've created a very touch friendly interface, right? This is one of our proprietary. So imagine of it as let's say, let me give you an example, right? Uh, think of it like an Uber partner app, right? How the app has been made for the drivers to make his life easy. So we've created this Sport Radar Scout app. Mm. Now this guy needs to download his app, put his credentials, and then in the stadium, he will actually be able to, so, so depending on which sport he's collecting, there will basically be a pictorial representation of that uh, stadium on his phone. And then let's say a player is going, he can click on it. If there's a key event, there are certain buttons, he'll press it. Obviously the idea is to make it as quick as possible because for us, every microsecond matters. So you cannot type it. If, if you type, it's already too late. Right, right, right. Ah, so that's what I was wondering. I'll, I'll, I'll try and send you a screenshot uh, of uh, how the app looks like uh, after the call, maybe. This is fascinating. Um, but like, there, there are no sensors on the field per se, right? So, so there are. So when I say that, you know, when the leagues, um, we collect with certain league data partnerships. So, for example, in NBA and NFL, we do work with certain uh, motion cam, motion sensors and heat 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 camera heat mapping technologies as well. So we do have certain motion sensors. Uh, we work with say spider cams, et cetera, a little bit as well. But given that our data is very unique in the way we want to collect it, right. no sort of direct technology actually does it. But there is a big division we have in San Francisco where we keep investing a lot of money and time hmm. on creating the next right. um, wave of data collection technology. Because you're right that this technology might become archaic in five years, 10 years. Yeah. And if it does, then we we pretty much risk our whole business. So obviously, there's a huge part of our business which is always focusing on what's next from a technology frontier. Right, right, awesome. And uh, so, what's the revenue model like? So it's a, a monthly. Uh, the, uh, we have two primarily. Again, we have two primarily uh, models. All our models are very up a monthly. So we don't do anything as a one-time thing, right? Um, so if it's a, if it's just data, um, which, um, so we, so for example, the data, the widgets, et cetera, all of this, we will be selling at a monthly cost. Uh, so like a monthly SaaS model. So for example, dream 11, um, or one of these guys will pay us an X amount of dollars, euros every month for using the data feed. Mm -hmm. So it's basically a very good model from an incremental revenue standpoint, because every year, when you build a set of customers, it takes you lesser effort than the last year. Right. Um, but obviously there's a churn rate factor associated with it, which we can get into. 
but over and above that, we're trying to, as a global company, moving away from that model as well, because we believe that model is a very vendor-driven model. Uh, so especially in the sports betting divisions where it's possible more globally. So what we do is we not just provide them the odds, we also give them the technology to manage their liabilities and risk and everything. So because of our technology, they are actually making money or less money, right? Hmm. So then the model is very simple saying, okay, without us, you would have made $10,000. With us, you make $100,000, right? Okay. So you give us a percentage of what you make with us. So, so we are now getting into revenue share model. So, so it's generally a split between fixed fee per month or a revenue share per month kind of business model. What's the revenue share like? So it's very, very dependent. It could be as large as 25% in certain cases to as low as 5%, three, four, three, four, 5%. It depends on the volumes, right? So if a company like a Bet365, you cannot charge them 25% because they will be giving you a certain amount of volume. So it depends on how much money they make. So generally it's like a scaled down version where it starts at a very high percent, but as you grow higher, it becomes smaller, right? right. So we say, okay, you, we will give you the same level of service you're a startup, yes, but give us that more percentage rather than, you know, uh, so it, it, it takes much lesser for brands also because they feel like they get the best technology in the world from day one yeah. and they are paying from what they're making. So if there's, isn't that a risk on their part that their entire business model is reliant on one uh, tech, which is sports trade arts? Well, it's, it's not the case in, uh, to be very honest, um, you would see that, um, the product differentiation is um, from a data standpoint, we've, we've pretty much reached like a position where we are a standard, right? Mm. So it's not so much as we are a good to have, we're kind of becoming a must have in most places. Mm. However, I think the key differentiation uh, in, um, in sports betting business primarily is because it's from UI UX or the UX mainly, not UI as well. UX and more importantly, it's marketing. It's all a game of marketing for 20. It's like top of mind recall is the best way to kind of get more. But but again, from a non-sports betting perspective in media and all of these, a lot of these guys have multiple comps. So we have multiple competitors as well, right? So, so some companies will either choose us, choose the other guys. Some other companies might have multiple data sources because as you said, it's a bit risky to depend on one company if their data fails, what happens to them, right? So then you generally have, I mean, obviously we have very high standards of uptime and we have very strong service level agreements with each of our partners that if we do fail, then what happens from a commercial standpoint? So we tend to lose a lot of money if we do go down. So, but again, if, if, if the larger the company is, they'll generally have multiple data sources. Mm. Who are those other people? Uh, so you mean like uh, competitors? Yeah. So, so globally, I would say our top three to four competitors would be companies like um, Opta, which is Perform Group. Uh, if you watch Premier League, you might know them very well. They, they do all these Opta stats. There's a company called Genius Sports, globally. Uh, Genius Sports. And in, in, uh, in India, so Stats and Opta were two different competitors, but they've merged together now with Perform. So that's Perform, there's... Um, Genius Sports, there's a, IMG does a bit of the work we do as well. Um, some parts they do similar, some parts they don't. So it's kind of uh, part of the competitor. And in India, we have uh, uh, probably Sports Interactive, we can say is a part competitor. 
So they do some uh, bunch of the stuff we do, especially in cricket and, mm-hmm. and some other Indian sports. They are pretty good in data collection as well. But there, they uh, we are focused on more sort of one to many kind of solutions. Theirs is also a lot of one to one. So they do build a lot of customized solutions. So very very good with rights holders. Uh, we look at uh, working primarily with uh, multiple businesses that with building one product. Okay, lovely. So this sounds like a very niche uh, segment and a set of knowledge as well to have. How did you get into this, and how long did it take for you to understand the nuances of this industry and the? Well, yeah. very honestly, I've, I've I just landed up here. Right? It's it's not it's it's, it's very very interesting because. Uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting because it kind of ties up to a couple of the things you guys had, uh, discussed before. By the way, just one thing on a side note, I must admit that uh, your onboarding form, et cetera, and all were very, very well thought out by you guys. So I think great job on that. I think it's it kind of makes you take a step back and question yourself as well a little bit. Yeah. This is what you're doing. So that that's cool. So yeah, so in fact, it's interesting because the journey of Radar actually happened to me while I was building a market entry strategy with somebody. Oh, okay. So what I was what I was doing right before Sport Radar, I was running a small boutique consulting venture with a friend of mine, okay. and as a key part of that venture was growth, right? And it's it's fun, it's interesting because we were doing growth using three different arms, right? So and and it's it's very interesting to hear what you guys are doing from an education standpoint. We were a bit more commercial savvy. We were doing growth uh, from a startup function by three different venues. So it was growth via building your own team because you obviously grow so that's growth via funding so we called it fundraising mm. because we did fundraising to allow you to build a better team right. and that was one of the growth models the other was obviously growth via sales right so that's the best way to grow and then growth via partnerships and business uh, strategic partnerships and alliances okay. so these were all three what we were doing so along this path and obviously my, even before that, for the like, I think now the last seven years I've been in the sports industry, right? Mm-hmm. So generally combining sports technology and finance uh, or commerce were my sort of things, which I kind of started batting my head against since about six years now. So always kind of keep experimenting new and new things. It could be as different as running my own. In fact, I've, I've started my own sports team actually in Bangalore. I was the first person to start an internationally funded uh, Counter-Strike team in India uh, oh. with, uh, with a company called Optic Gaming. So so it, it was a bunch of, I think, and again, I always keep telling this to people, saying it's a bunch of doing things what you don't, just keep doing things till you know that you don't want to do that, right? And then you somehow land up on the thing you want to do. Uh, so kind of for me, that's always been trial by error, trial and error. But with Sport Trader, it was very interesting because one of my uh, accomplices who was an export radar guy connected me to their head of emerging markets to say, hey, they are looking to enter India. Can you help them with a consulting piece? I said, sure, happy to. He's like, listen, they are obviously a very big company. So feel free to put a big fat check on your uh, services. However, if you are looking for a bigger story here, just think about it. So I was like, fine. So the project started with me actually building a market entry document for these guys. Uh, at the end of the project, the guy who received my presentation actually came back to me about a month later saying, hey, the team, the management really likes what, you, what you've uh, presented. Do you have anybody in mind who could actually execute this strategy? Correct. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I mean, again, uh, and then he was very straightforward. He's like, 
would you want to ever execute this? I said, I'm happy to look into it. And then this was March, April, 2018. Now I ended up joining them by June, July. And so it's, it's been a 30 months of a lot of learning. I think, I think the biggest advantage has been, as I told you, right? Uh, a lot of people look at me or look at Sport Radar India and they're like, oh, how do you know these things? Because you're here. It, it's, it's, it's actually very, very interesting for anyone, for people who are building organizations to be how relevant, even on a global scale, they've become through the processes they've built and the way knowledge sharing happens in is in pretty much a seamless fashion, right? Mm. So yes, it wasn't easy. It took me a bit of time, but but again, it, it's one of those companies where if you're curious, you will always find the answer because there are so many people who know so much more than you do. There's so much knowledge bank available. So it's just a matter of raising your head, putting your hand up in the air and saying, listen, I don't know this. Can somebody help me? And and the one thing I've always learned is to always be shameless about asking shameful questions. Yeah. Um, and and I, I really like it. And I think people who ask stupid questions are the ones who are actually thinking about things, right? So, so it, it's, and then that's, that's what it's been. I mean, again, I'm very, very early in my sport radar journey or in this kind of journey, but I think it, it's, it's really helped being in, in a room or in, in a Zoom call nowadays, is <laughs> the new, I guess, marketing stint. But, but I think it's just the sheer interpersonal uh, ability of being able to go walk up to anybody. It's, it's a very, very flat organization. I can pretty much today write an email after this call to my CEO and say, listen, this is phenomenal. Well, why did we should do this? And he will actually send, take his time and sit back and reply to me. So, so it's, it's, I think it helps a lot by building the kind of organization you build as a company allows people inside it to really grow very quickly in yeah. their own feet if they are obviously wanting to grow. Right. So, but like, uh, obviously you must have thought about because when you're consulting, you're working with multiple clients so you're, uh, and going into a job is a very different thing, right? So, well, well, interestingly for me, it hasn't changed. Uh, and this is very, very interesting. You said that because uh, when I was doing my consulting gig, right? I, I was able to divide my time across multiple customers. Um, so some people say, this is not easy, right? I actually so much even so I get a kick out of doing the exact same thing. I cannot work for one person. Technically in Sport Radar, the way we've always treated sales, even though we work for Sport Radar, we actually work for our clients more. And we are the bridge to our customers in India, uh, to Sport Radar. So for me, I'm working with Sport Radar, but I'm actually working for the 80 customers. So for me, it almost feels like a consulting gig in, in a room which is with an expert, right? So it's a consulting gig, but wearing the hat of an expert. So it's actually the best of both worlds in a very funny way. And, and, and to be honest, I feel like I've consulted far more in Sport Radar than I've consulted before because a lot of our customers uh, don't just come to us for our data and our services, right? Um, we're not the cheapest solution in the market. Um, we are the. We believe we are the uh, best ROI product. Right. Now ROI can come in just more than data. So a lot of these companies are coming in. They're coming in with trust. They come in with knowledge. They're like, okay, if we work with Sport Radar, they will not only just give us the data. They might give us some ideas about how we can even grow as a business. So I've actually done so much of that as a part of my business uh, role that. I almost feel like I work for all of these guys rather than Sport Trader. Okay, so that's about the uh, client side, but also the other factor is 
the incentive anyway um, you know Sorry, like, what do you mean by that no i mean like when you are when it's your company and you are consulting the upside there's no limit on the upside right like whereas when you're working for another company then there's a limit on the upside well interestingly we we've created quite good uh, commercial models in house okay to make uh, those upsides decently uh, unlimited on the upside i mean obviously at the end of the day you right. you're working yeah. as an employee so yeah. you will have a certain restriction but i would generally say for i mean again not directly advertising but i i, I think sportradar has probably i've seen one of the best commercial models for people being engaged internally as well very nice okay Cool. Uh, so one of the things that I really wanted to talk about was now with this whole, uh, as a society, we are kind of closing out, right? Be it Corona or be it uh, even before that, like uh, the walls were being built, illegal migration, yada yada. In India also, right? Like not just in the US. In India also, we came out with this NRC and whatnot, right? So generally, this xenophobic um, culture. or idea which is against this immigration like close your thing and now the government is talking about local for uh, local and stuff like that in in this aspect at a macro level given your understanding and working with multiple markets what do you think is happening or what do you think what's the current state and where do you think this is going to go is globalization as a concept is like dead like people are going to go more inward or there's going to be a midway somewhere I, I firstly, I mean, again, fantastic question, and I think it's it's a it's one of those points which kind of doesn't get me to sleep really well. Uh, and 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 you can even make it a bigger conversation than just economic conversation, right? It's also a social conversation. It's it's about, I mean, again, COVID. What has happened to us in the world is one of its kind. We haven't seen it, and and but it has made the world a very, let's put it this way, fearful of. unknowns right like um i mean again just a great example the other day i had gone for a meeting um in covid to step out for a meeting in a hotel room in a hotel is a big deal but i was just sitting outside and standing with my friend and then there were some two people away having a smoke in in a normal environment you would go and just have a chit chat with them in this environment you want to go as far away from them as possible then not so it, it has created i guess a social so it stems from that social phenomenon of xenophobia right it is bound to come into the economic factor mm. however i think you have to always remember that i think a lot of these are sensitized political driven agendas yeah. by certain people across the globe not just india yeah. or europe or the us whatever it is it is going to maybe let's say have some impacts on certain parts of the world from a direct basis but i think it's going to be a short it's one of those impacts which will kind of be very large in the beginning but then taper it out to a medium point mm -hmm. it might end up innovating in your own home country which is probably a good part but you have to remember that technology has spread its web so well across the globe that at the end of the day if the movement would happen to us today just think about the 1918 spanish flu right a 100 years back this would have really closed down the world to in its own sense now today i mean again yeah, i you could be talking to me or you could be talking to a guy in mexico city it would it would actually make no difference to yeah. you and me right yeah. so i think from a technology standpoint the world has opened up so much that i feel like it's impossible to say that globalization would not happen 
Mm. Over and above that, you have to also see flow of technology, also flow of capital. I think that I've created enough commercial structures that if somebody wants to be engaged in a business in some part of the world, he will find a way to make it happen, right? Um, and venture capital, private equities, et cetera, are great examples of this, right? I mean, yes, you have a company X, which is Indian because it's by an Indian founder, even though an X amount of money is being invested by an international investor, correct? So I, I, I think it's, it's the function of narrative storytelling, I would say. And I said, in the short term, you will see the impact. Yes, you will. And I'm hoping as, an, as a proud citizen of my country that the short-term impact is just helping create innovation. Mm. Not, I mean, again, I, I absolutely don't believe in the concept of unopened economy. So I think, I think we, there's so many people who do so many things better than you and me do. Yeah. But some things we might do much better than them. So it, it's, it should always be a transmission of energies on both the sides. So, so personally speaking, I don't see this as a long-term impact from a, it will have a taper down effect, yes, uh, but it will wave off in because I think the technology spread and the investment spread is enough in the globe to make sure that it doesn't stagnate from a interlocking of each country perspective. Very nice. So, uh, so that's comparative advantage, right? That's what you're trying. Uh, I do something better than you, you do something better than I. So then the easiest way to do is transact rather than I try to create your product. So from an economic standpoint, it's comparative advantage. So now uh, what kind of framework do you follow Piyush, for, uh, so let's say, first question is at what stage a company has to start thinking about partnerships seriously, right? And the second question is, if they're thinking about that, like, is there a framework that companies can follow? Okay, so, so the question one, I'll answer very straightforwardly saying, uh, according to me, I mean, you can start building partnerships day one. Um, and I think it's always a function of um, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's services or any industry, right? I think um, it's always, it's a simple commercial decision, right? saying that, yes, if I'm going to try to do this on my own X or Y, um, is this going to give me incremental revenue? Is it going to reduce my costs? Mm. Is it going to increase my credibility, which would gonna help me long-term value? So as long as I'm building value, increasing my uh, sales or reducing my costs, each of those three factors are enough to build a partnership. Whether these whether partnerships are for long-term, short-term, and medium-term depends on the nature of the partnership. So right. for me, it's always a function of, and again, I guess by virtue of saying what I said, I've already defined the framework for you, right? Yeah. The framework is always a function of three things in a, again, and I think in an old-school PNL, it would just be a function of building profit, build, increasing your revenue, reducing your cost. In today's world, in the startup world we live, we add one more value of building a brand, building a value correct? Because there are people who are also investing in the value of the brand and not just the, so, so as long as you can create a framework for each of them, try and target the key problems. If you can target and solve those problems by yourself, well and good. Um, or even if you are doing it on your own, if there's somebody else who's doing it better than you, can you learn with them? Can you learn from them? Can you part of simple question is, can you partner with them? So for me, I always look at partnerships as a very, very, again, very mathematical approach. Right. And then an interpersonal approach, right? Obviously, um, 
and, and, and the way why I say that is because let's say, for example, uh, let's just take an example that you were to produce a part X, which would reduce your cost by 25%, but you don't have that part X. Now you can go find five companies in the market to do it as your partners, but you might end up partnering with one of them, even though they might not be the best in price in a way, because you feel like you share the vision of that person better or them. There are certain things which are sometimes just beyond a bit of mathematics. So it always starts mathematically for me and it ends interpersonally for me. So that's how I look at partnerships as a very nice. parameter. Lovely. Um, now the same thing would apply to, I mean, I'm just thinking more from a perspective of, because this, it's going to take a longer time, of course, right? And second thing is coming out with the deal structure. Because partnership again, then you have to think about like, are we going to go with a rev share? Then if it's a rev share, it's like, do we put a DK function over there? You know, like all these things come into play, right? So it usually takes a longer time to close a partnership and yes. it also takes a longer time for the real benefits to show, right? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, how much of an effort as a, let's say you're a startup founder, would you put like 20% of your time into partnerships or like, you know, because it's a long-term thing, right? Now I'm thinking about survival. Absolutely, I, I agree with you, right? So I think I think it's easier um, for me to say this in the room I sit in because for me, I don't need to, let's right. put it this way for lack of better word, worry about survival. So I, yeah. I get I get where you're coming from. Um, however, I believe that an 80-20 module is something which even a startup founder can follow, right? Now, obviously his 80% could be very, very pivotal issues. Uh, now it could literally be okay. How am I gonna run, pay the salary for these guys next month, right? And I, I've been, I've been in that room. I, I was one of the third startup for co-founders in sports engagement, and we had these issues all the time. And and I think still, twenty percent of that focus is saying. I mean, again, just give you a very easy example of a partnership versus. And again, it, it might not be a direct partnership, but let's put it this way: fundraising or an alliance with the right kind of people might just help you get very close to fundraising mm. than the other way around. So if let's say you build a partnership module with five or six companies, five or six guys who could be on your advisory panel. Now this could attack, attract a lot of credibility and help you reach fundraising. So yes, you are trying to solve the problem for the next month on the 80% of the days, but that 20% of your mind can also solve the problem for the next three to four years. So, so from a partnership standpoint, I would generally go with my 80-20 rule saying, okay, let's focus 80% on what's now and then, but always keep an eye out for it, right? And again, maybe all of them, again, I, and, and hence, I'm actually one of those guys who likes to believe that a good startup is a couple of multi-people function, right? So either you are, if you are an individual founder that you really need to build your cohort of the key functions very, very quickly, Mm. But if not, then if you're a couple of three members, then, then maybe one other person is focusing on stuff like this more and the other two are kind of running the ship on a daily basis. Okay, so uh, now we are moving to the most interesting part, which is uh, our rapid fire. All right, can we start? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Now, Piyush, first one, uh, best, best purchase under rupees 5,000 that has had a positive impact on your life. So uh, I mentioned this on the form as before. It was funnily a slice of pizza. Mm. However, it was a slice of pizza which I bought from the money I had earned on my own for the first time. So it was in Melbourne. It was my first ever salary as an intern. 
okay. the age of 19. And, and I think that pizza taste was the best I've ever tasted in my life. Exactly. And it was a very positive impact because I felt like I could do anything on my own if I wanted to at that point. So I felt like the king of the jungle. So what's a book that you gifted the most and why? So um, again, wrong person. I am the worst person for gifting books. I'm the person who gifts bottles of champagne or wine to people. But from a book perspective, uh, on a personal level impact, I definitely always tell people about zero to one. It helps me a lot. Not so much because it told me what to do from zero to one, but it kind of started making me really uh, appreciate entrepreneurs a lot more and seeing that why I am not the zero to one guy, but I'm the one to nine guy. So I, I can join him at that one point and help them grow that business for. So that was what me is. So it, it helped me realize that. Okay. So that one point is where there's product market fit. Correct. So one is where, okay, I have a great product. I'm starting to do some certain sales, but how do I make it into a brand? How do I really grow this into a large unit? So that that's where I find very comfort or that's my sense of comfort. Hmm. All right. Uh, so next one. So... How has failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? So again, uh, there's nothing called a favorite failure in my life, but I must admit that um, again, being in the startup uh, phase, when I did fail with my first startup, which was Fanmore, um, it really helped me become who I am because it, it kind of presented me with a fast paced growth on product knowledge, on industry knowledge of my initial network circles and really helped me come to where I am today in a way because it just made me much faster to think on my feet whenever the situation was. So that from that perspective, I can even call it as a calling as to how this kind of ended up my startup not going to the place we wanted it to go to being where I am today. Very nice. Okay. If you have one gigantic billboard with anything on it, what would it have that kind of captures the life? This is, uh, so this one is one of uh, one for your other uh, podcast. It's a sales quote. It's my favorite quote. It's a simple ABC. Always be closing. Always be closing. Okay, great. Yeah. All right, nice. And, and if, I, if it was a two-way billboard uh, and if I could teach people something a little bit more, the other side could say be on time, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it would really help to close things faster if people are on time in India. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, do you remember the inflection point when you decided to do what you're doing now? Hmm. Well, I, I don't think, I mean, as such, there was an inflection. Okay. So I could say it in the sense that hmm. uh, when I joined my startup fan mode, this was about, I guess, about five and a half years back in London. Uh, it was very interesting because I joined a sports business for the first time. And being a sports fan, I always thought I knew it all, right? But in literally two weeks, I realized that how different I, I could be. However, two more weeks passed by and I said, I want to do this every day of my life. So I think sports and commerce around sports was something which I kind of got sold on very, very quickly in one month. And that's that's been primary one of the drivers of trying to do what I want to do. Nice. Very nice. Uh, so this is two questions more. One is, how do you pick yourself up when you're down? Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm a bit of, a, again, very candid answer. I'm a bit of an escapist by that times. Yes. I like to really just 
shove my thought away, uh, put myself to doing something else for those 30 minutes, right? It depends on how bad my task was. I, if I do have some leniency in myself, I'll probably just break for listening to some, watch a, like a funny sitcom episode, order a favorite snack. If it's really still a bad day, then I'll kind of just go on to some mundane task because then you feel like you're closer to when you were before mm -hmm. in the day to achieve what you want and feel like always more often than not, I kind of always get back to where I am by just taking this break for the 30, 45 minute break in the middle. Okay, very nice. Uh, this is a very important question. Uh, what advice would you give to a smart driven college student about to enter the real world? Uh, what advice do you think they should ignore? So I think the biggest advice they should ignore, and I'll start with the second part because that leads into my first part better, uh, is to is to not listen to people who are the age of, who will tell you then, hey, why aren't you doing A, B, C, D? How do you know you're 2021 20, right now? You don't even know what you want to do. I always feel like people who want to decide that this is exactly what I want to do at the age of 20. Like, I mean, just between you and me, you started saying, this is a very niche field, correct? what yeah. I'm doing. And again, for me as well, it's, it's not something at the age of 18, I said, hey, listen, I yeah. want to sell sports data for a Swiss company, right? I know exactly what I want to do, right? So I think it's always a function of, for me, life choices are best done by elimination. Yes, you need to do logical estimates and thoughtful guesses. You can't just run around randomly. But I think it's always a function of elimination rather than selection. So I always have driven my lifestyle based on that. And I think one of the key advisors to people would be that. So if you try out a lot of things, then you can eliminate a lot of things. So then you'll Correct. Eliminate. All right, great. Awesome. I think, I think overall, just I think it's an interesting concept, um, what you guys are doing. And I think it, it would really help. I think uh, startups in the last, and I think it's, it's kind of come at a very good time. So I think just want to take a quick comment on what you guys are doing as well, is that uh, there was a phase where there was a funding boom, right? Like people, all they wanted to do was just raise funding, next funding, next funding, next funding, right? I mean, again, it was a very, there was an interesting anecdote I heard somebody say on the other day. It's like, I have never understood how kids today celebrate when they give away a part of their company yeah. uh, for some money, right? They're not really making money they're just giving away parts of their company so i don't understand right. so i think i think from that stage to today where we are where a lot of businesses yes they need to raise funding i think and i think people are becoming smarter to realize that funding is a vehicle for growth yeah. rather than anything else it's not a funding it's not just a vehicle for existence yeah. so i think focusing on growth is a very very i think probably equally important if not the most important part of the business so I think it's great that you guys are taking that initiative in that sense that somebody needs to educate people about growth. Awesome. Thank you.